Hello, my name is Christopher Kakuyo-sensei, and I am the practice leader of the Salt Lake Buddhist Fellowship. Our fellowship is made up of folks from all walks of American life. We are an American Buddhist Sangha. Our fellowship is lay-led, all-inclusive, non-discriminating, and transsectarian Sangha, influenced by the Pure Land Buddhist tradition and the teachings of Gyome and Koyo Kabose. Our organization focuses on the universal teachings of Gautama Buddha, the historical Buddha, and the mythic Buddha, Amida. Our approach follows the teachings of the Way of Oneness, a unique form of American Buddhism developed by Venerable Reverend Gyome Kabose, based on Shin Buddhist tenets. What you are about to hear are some Dharma talks from our local fellowship gatherings. Enjoy the Dharma talk. So today, I want to talk about Sangha, Sangha as practice. And I want to start with probably my favorite teaching, one of my favorite teachings from the Pali Canon, from the teaching of the Buddha. And it is some of the oldest known written um, uh, teachings of the Buddha that we know of. Uh, Some people may say it's the first. We don't know. We don't know what is the first, what is the original teaching. But we know by tradition, it is the oldest recorded uh, teachings of the Buddha that we have. And the one that I want to share is from the Upada Sutta. And it is the story of Ananda, Ananda, who is the Buddha's cousin, who is 20 years younger than him, 25 years younger than him. And he's his attendant. So he's with the Buddha pretty much all the time, taking care of him, watching over him by his side. And they're on their journey and they're resting. So here, here's, I'm going to set the scene. They're, they're resting. They're resting probably in a grove because this was Nepal, Northern India, and it was very, um, very rural. There was jungles and forests everywhere. So they're taking the rest on their journey. They're walking as a congregation, as a Sangha, Sangha, to um, the next place that they were going to teach. And I can see them resting. And I can see Ananda looking over the assembly of uh, the monks there that have been walking with them from village to village. And some of them are doing sitting meditation. Some of them are possibly doing walking meditation. While others are smiling, simply sharing the joy of each other's company and each other's practice. Thinking of all that they are uh, learning and sharing Ananda has an insight. He thinks to himself, ah, of course, of course. And he wants to share it with his cousin, the Buddha. And he says, Buddha, holy one, these are companions, our fellow monks. This is half of the holy life, Lord. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable. Admiral, admiral, admirable, <laughs> camaraderie. 
I bet he said it better than I did. But he said it in Pali, so. <laughs> I think we know that feeling, you know, when you're with friends, you're with those who are close to your family, friends, and you're just having a good time. And you're really enjoying each other's company. You're enjoying your, your, your mutual aspirations. And you just go, wow, this is great. And there's a man that goes, yeah, half, half of the holy life. This is what it's about. And I can see the Buddha looking at Ananda and smiling. Um, maybe even a little surprised by his response. Ananda hears the Buddha say to him, cousin, don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Holy shit. Right now I'm getting a little reactive. The Buddha's scolding me. Don't say that. Don't say that, Christopher. Buddha goes on. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, admirable camaraderie is actually the whole of the holy life. When a monk has admirable people as friends, companions, and colleagues, he can be expected to develop and pursue the noble eightfold path. End quote. The Buddha's my okay. So when I first read this, my response it wasn't what I was expecting. I was surprised, and that's one thing I love about reading sutras and suttas. Is sometimes you read something and go, "Holy crap! Really? I didn't know that." I've been raised on you know American mindfulness. This is very interesting. I didn't know that, and I think it's important to notice that the Buddha's firm with Ananda. And, and I think it's really important that he is so firm with Ananda to the understanding of how important this is. Spiritual friendships are just not part of the way. They are the whole of the way. Don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Actually, it's the whole of the whole. I think Ananda is really trying to emphasize, excuse me, the Buddha is really trying to emphasize to Ananda how important this is. And I think this teaching is desperately needed in our current world, and one that has always been an integral part of the Buddha way. This is known as a teaching regarding the need for Kalyana Mitra. Kalyana Mitra which means spiritual friend, good friend, true friend on the path, noble friend. The Kalyanamitra or Mitras, for plural, is not something I expected when I came to Buddhism through the filter of westernized Buddhist images and the selling of Zen. I always saw it as a lone journey something you did by yourself in a closet, um, self-reflection, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do it the hard way, do it alone, which is really attractive to Westerners because we like to say, hey, you got to do it on your own. Toughen up. But being locked in my apartment or locked in my closet, that's not the way for us to awaken. I really appreciate this quote from Bhikkhu Bodhi. Bhikkhu Bodhi 
is American Theravina practitioner who is considered one of the scholars, one of the foremost leading scholars of the Pali Canon. He writes, quote, People new to Buddhism often take the Dharma to be purely an individual path of spiritual development. They imagine that the only correct way to follow the Dharma is to lock oneself up in one's room, turn off the lights, turn off the music, keep out the dog and cat, and devote all one's efforts to practicing meditation. However, if we look at the Buddhist texts, we see that the Buddha again and again stresses the value of spiritual friendships as a support for the Buddhist path throughout the entire course of practice. And I like that too, through the entire course of practice. You never get to a point of spiritual development where, oh, okay, I'm cool now. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the help. Don't need you no more. I'm going to go do my you know, thing on the mountain, um, you know, getting there. I'm going to be a Buddha. So I'll see you on the flip side. It never becomes that. It's an integral part. Today, as we continue to celebrate our return to this space and the spiritual friendships that are held and cultivated and practiced here, I want to share a few words that I wrote and shared uh, about Sangha as practice. And it was last Sunday during our dedication service that I shared these words. And it's about this space, about this space that we're returning to. These four walls hold so many memories, so many moments. Laughter, tears, awakenings. These walls around us hold our hearts. And in some ways, we may have felt ourselves in a different way than we never felt ourselves before or connected to others like we haven't before. For a lot of you, this is your first time here and this is a new space. This is a new homecoming. And with us in this place, as we settle, as we are still, this will be a place to be safe, a place to listen, a place to be heard, and a place to be a student and a teacher. Places and spaces such as this hold us. These four walls, this altar, act as an anchor to connect us to something greater and to each other and our own hearts. We honor what happens in this space, this container inside these four walls as we take residence here. Our practice and our engagement, our struggles and difficulties, our delusions and awakenings, all will take place here. And they will be attended and tended to. This tending, this caring, this healing has less to do with these walls, this roof, the flowers, the statues, the scrolls, the candles, the incense, even though... The four walls of our new temple hold our practice, hold our memories, hold our stories and our aspirations. In the absolute, these walls, these bricks and mortar are not the Sangha, are not even our community's home. In our tradition, in our practice, 
the practice of sangha, of intentional community, of deep listening, of come as you are, and a wholehearted acceptance is the heart of what we do, of namo amida butsu, of spiritual friendship. End quote. The space is part, but it is not the spiritual friendships. It's the container that holds us, that gives us a space in which we can explore these friendships and develop these connections. So we can see from the early days of the Buddha that there was this thing called the practice of Sangha. In the early days of the Buddha, the Sangha consisted primarily of only the ordained monks that were supported by lay people. But this narrow definition of Sangha, or community of followers, has over the years, especially with Buddhism spread into the East Asia, then towards the West, has become more, more exclusive, more expanded to include lay followers, and even the larger community, which we practice and live. I like to think, I like to think that we live in one inclusive Sangha of the fellowship here, in addition to the Sangha of our families. Your children, your spouses, your lovers, you are a Sangha together in your spiritual friendship. But it's not just there. It can also be the Sangha of work, my work Sangha. And I think it's important to call your work your work Sangha. Because what happens in a Sangha is you practice. What a better place to practice everyday Buddhism than at work. Because it's one of the fucking hardest places to do it. <laughs> But if you think of it, if you think of my workplace as Sangha, Sangha is not something you just do on Sunday. Sangha is an everyday practice and not just work, but neighborhood, my neighborhood Sangha. What do I do for my neighborhood? And what do I do for my broader community? And the multiplicity of the communities in which we are involved, LGBTQI people of color. We have all kinds of communities that can become our sangha, not just here. This sangha is the pattern of building it out to concentric circles of compassion and healing. I like to think that I live in a boundless sangha, the great earth bodhisattva sangha, that includes all living beings, living and dead. That includes all things. This inclusive Sangha helps me to realize that my practice is a daily practice that attends to all of my life and all those that are interwoven into my life, from the most intimate friends to strangers, to the person who cuts me off and I want to scream and yell, to that one day years ago, I found maggots in my cat food can. And as I washed them down the sink, bowed because I saw the life in them. 
still can't have them in the house. <laughs> this open, inclusive Sangha is what we mean when we say in our practice manual, the pure land is here and now. This is desperately needed in the West as we harvest the unintended consequences of a seeming pathological and religious rugged individualism. So I got a pickup truck. On the back of my pickup truck, got a picture of the Buddha in the middle. It's got cowboy up on the right side. It's got a picture of a cowboy praying at a cross. Confuse them. Other people. <laughs> they get behind me and go, this guy doesn't know which way he's coming. So, the Buddha is the Buddha. The Buddha is the awakened one. Cowboy up is be strong, but you still need help. The cross and the cowboy at the cross is all my friends who killed themselves. All of the suicides. And you'll notice in that image, there's a couple of versions. One looking up at the cross, the other looking down. I'm looking down because I'm remembering my friends, brothers and sisters who have taken their own lives. Rugged individualism is a lie. It's a lie. It's a myth. It's a myth that it's so much easier for us to accept. We're not going to believe in the, the, the mythic worlds of the gods and bodhisattvas, but I'm going to believe in the myth of rugged individualism or I can do this all by myself. And I'm not going to let go of that myth. We pick and choose all day long. This rugged individualism is degrading our ecosystems, has increased isolation, so we feel so disconnected and is breeding more violence. In a world more and more connected through the internet, we ironically are more and more isolated and compartmentalized. We are lonely, and this loneliness somehow feels like a weakness or some kind of failing on our part. It's not. The rise of addiction is a direct correlation to this. All the current available research is telling us that addiction is caused by disconnection from others and our inner selves and our inner story and less of a medical condition. It is more of a social condition. The opposite of addiction is not simply sobriety, but connection, connection to others, but just as important, if not more important, a connection to ourselves. As humans, we need to be able to connect, trust, and learn from one another. This connection increases our resilience. Suffering is hard, but suffering alone is unbearable. This is where a sangha comes in. When we take refuge and more formally become a Buddhist and go for refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, this is known as the three jewels. Each of them is interdependent. Each of them help us attain awakening. And the third jewel, the jewel of the Sangha, is the whole of the way. Thich Nhat Hanh has written extensively on the Sangha, and it is one of these teachings that resonated with me so much 
that it was part of the founding of this fellowship back in 2013, almost 10 years ago. I read, I read this while I was reading River of Fire, River of Water, and those two combined is why we're here today. In traditional Buddhism, there is said to be another Buddha to come. Another Buddha. And this is the Buddha of love. And this is Buddha Maitreya. And the Buddha of love is going to come one day. And Te, Thich Nhat Hanh, has taught that this Buddha Maitreya is not so much this, this personage of another Buddha, but he sees it as the Sangha itself. That this promised Buddha of love is here and is manifest in this gathering and every gathering like it. So the practice of Sangha. So how do we do the practice of Sangha? How does it help us in our journey? The heart of our Sangha is come as you are. The simple invitation is the beginning of transformation. It is the Sangha that the Buddha Dharma makes the Buddha Dharma come alive. In a broader sense, the Sangha and the entirety of our lives that we live and practice is our everyday Buddhism. Thich Nhat Hanh goes on to say, quote, in order for us to develop some roots, we need the kind of environment that can help us become more rooted. The Sangha is not a community of practice in which each person is an island, unable to communicate with each other. This is not a true Sangha. No healing or transformation will result from such a Sangha. A true Sangha should be like a family in which there's a spirit of brotherhood and sisterhood, where you allow it to be a Sangha the way a drop of water allows itself to be a river. The energy of the Sangha can penetrate into you, and transformation and healing will become possible. And as we do the challenging work of I don't know and learn to become friends with ourselves and with our suffering, we need help along the way. The antidote to pathological individualism is not solitary self-reflection, but it is to share to listen deeply to others, to ask for help. It is, learn, it is to learn to trust and rely on another. This is the crux of a real life. It is about learning from one another. In the end, no one can save us. I can't save you. You can't save me. But that being said, doesn't mean we don't need a hell of a lot of help along the way. That we don't need support and others to lift us up when we fall down. In the traditional Pure Land Sutras, the reason one aspires to be born into the Pure Lands of the Buddha is because good people live in the, in the Pure Lands of the Buddha. They help us in our practice. These Good people, these bodhisattvas, help us to our final awakening. The fellowship is our 
training ground for practice. It is where we come as we are. It means that there are a lot of opportunities to practice the virtues of patience, as all of you have had to do with me over the years, humility, compassion, deep listening, letting go of views and expectations. But here's the thing. The practice of Sangha can be very difficult because your come as you are is really screwing with me and my come as I am. I want you to accept me coming as I am, but mm -mm, I don't know about you. I got to accept the way you're coming too. That's the flip side of the practice. And some days, the spirit of come as you are also known as Sonamama in Japanese, keeps us steadfast and open. Over the years, you've all heard me share the Sangha as a rock polisher. And uh, Kathy and her community, I, after I shared this last time, actually gave us, uh, my family, a rock polisher for my boys. It was a lovely and kind gift. Um, but the Sangha is like a rock polisher. It is something that I think is a really good analogy. The practice of Sangha is like a rock polisher in where all our sharp edges are crashed up against one another until we both become smooth and shiny. You guys are looking a lot shinier. Um, but it's that crashing against each other, crashing against each other with all our baggage. I like to say, I'm a baggage. I got, I got steamer trunks full of shit. We're bashing into each other. But we're bashing in each other in our aspiration to awaken, to become more connected, become closer. Come as you are opens our practice up to all within the Sangha, within the fellowship family. Accepting each other as we are means we take responsibility for our own shit. I love this passage from Domo. She's a sensei who runs the Zen Studies Institute. And she says, quote, We learn to let go of our attachments and preferences and to treat all beings with openness and compassion, particularly if someone has a negative reaction to you, that's their practice. If their reaction is about something you've said or done that needs to be addressed, it's their practice to let you know. You can stop worrying about others and focus on what you can influence, your own mind, end quote. The Sangha is our community, a place of refuge, of learning, acceptance, and a place to cultivate faith in the practice, faith in each other, and in the way of oneness. It is where we create the pure land here and now, coming together in embodied practice, sitting and sharing the same silence, 
sharing our lives and practice is the Sangha as practice. It doesn't matter how good a meditator you are or if you meditate at all. It doesn't matter what you believe or don't believe. Being here, being in the midst of community, that's what matters. And learning to be vulnerable, learning to share your strength and to share your weakness. When we refer to the pure land, we are saying that right here, right now, we can live in the pure land of total acceptance and harmony, and that it's with the help of the Sangha. Reverend Rijin Yashuda, the Jodo Shinshu minister at the turn of the century, has taught this, quote, Could there be any greater birth in the pure land than the fact that we're now sitting learning the Dharma together? This place where we are listening to the Dharma together is the pure land. End quote. Sometimes I wonder if the idea of the Buddha's pure land in pure land Buddhism came directly from the teaching of the Buddha on Kalyana Mitra, that the whole of the way is spiritual friendships. And before we end, I would like us to recite our new affirmation. And it's our new spiritual friendships affirmation, which will be in the new practice manual. Having learned from the Buddha that spiritual friendships are the whole of the way, Having learned from the Buddha that spiritual friendships are the whole of the way, I offer my regrets for any wrongdoing I have done knowingly or unknown. Having learned from the Buddha that spiritual friendships are the whole of the way, I offer my gratitude to each of you for sharing this unbeatable life. Having learned from the Buddha that spiritual friendships are the whole of the way, I bow. I have to give both will and imagination to fill the space between us. Having learned from the Buddha that spiritual friendships are the whole of the way, I offer you my hands, my heart, my mind, and ask this, that you remain by my side until both of us awaken There's a few that have the same one on the question. <laughs> I tried to fix that this morning, but there was so much going on. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, very good, yeah. The bodhisattvas know what they're doing. <laughs> so um, I was writing this, I was writing this affirmation. <clears throat> I was thinking about our community, and I was thinking 
about my experience. Me too, as a Kalyana Mitra. Um, we all we all struggle. We all struggle in community. We all struggle with each other. And sometimes the more you care about each other, the more you struggle with each other. So I, I look at this, this prayer, this, this affirmation as an offering, an offering that we give to each other and our friendship and our spiritual friendship. We start by bowing, by saying, here I am, I am here. And I see you, my fellow traveler. And then the first thing we do is we acknowledge any wrongdoing that we've done knowingly or unknowingly. And sometimes we do that unintentionally. And sometimes being hurt, we hurt other people. So we start by saying, I'm sorry. I value you. You are important to me. Then we offer our gratitude that we're sharing this unrepeatable life. Each and every one of you is a universe. When you die, the world will die with you. Nobody will see the world you see. Nobody will experience the world the way you've experienced. Your experience is absolutely unique and unrepeatable. And we all share that with each other. We all share that with each other. And then our commitment to each other to offer the best we can do and I like the real or imagined, because I think that's pretty real. To feel that, fill that space. How can I fill that space between us? Anything that keeps us separate. And we offer our hand, the hand of fellowship. We offer our heart, my mind, my practice. And the only thing we ask from each other, we don't ask each other to be perfect. We don't ask each other to necessarily lift us up, but we do ask one thing. We ask that you are by my side. And I know if I need you, I can turn there and you'll be there. And on my return from my inner journeys, that there'll be a welcoming face, smiling, saying, welcome back. Welcome home. So as we leave today, I want you to think and contemplate about Sangha as practice. And I want to thank you for your spiritual friendship.